0: welcome to the petro nerds podcast with your hosts trisha curtis ceo of petro nerds show combines upstream and midstream expertise in a rocky mountain showdown all right good morning everyone and welcome to the petro nerds podcast uh i have a smile on my face but i probably shouldn't um and Justin has warned me, my, my guest here today has warned me that I shouldn't be cussing today, but there is a war in Ukraine and I have had a lot of curse words in my head. Um, so I'm smiling because it is the Petronas podcast and that is what I do. Um, however, um, a lot has happened since I've I've spoken with guests um, and I have Justin said here with me today to discuss a lot of these things. But we are going to front load this podcast a little bit um, with what's going on in the market and the war that's happening within uh, Russia U- or in Ukraine um, provoked by Russia. So. It is the Petronas Podcast. This is episode forty-one. My guest is Justin Kringstad with the North Dakota Pipeline Authority. He is um, the—I've had him. This will be the second time he's been on the podcast. And today is Monday, February twenty-eighth, twenty twenty-two. WTI is ninety-five fifteen. Brent is ninety-nine ninety. And natural gas is four forty-two. And I will say it: there has been—I mean, yesterday I saw. Brent was nearly 104 bucks. So we did see some retreat and we saw uh, some heavy, heavy increase on Brent um, with the opening uh, opening of trade um, with Asia trade on Sunday afternoon. And then that has kind of come back down a little bit. So I asked Justin if he wanted to jump in and talk about the war with Ukraine. And he said he would he would chime in on oil prices in the Bakken. So, Justin, you're willing to uh, one. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Good morning.
1: Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me back
0: absolutely um, well there's a lot a lot of interesting stuff going on I think in the in the u.s public-private rig count space and just the oil and gas plays in general and actually with this this uh, all this talk about you know energy prices and everything a lot of people are asking when or when is the u.s. going to turn on the taps and I do think that that the Wilson Basin and the Bakken are an important important piece of that puzzle that I, I don't think a lot of folks really appreciate. And as you know, we've known each other for years and I've always loved, absolutely loved the Bakken um, for a number of different reasons from uh, the geology to actually, you know, the, the actual production and and, and it, it works great. Um, but I would sort of like to start this and open this with um, what's going on in the market. So We did have a, I mean, last week, um, actually last Wednesday, there was a a U.N. Security Council meeting. And during that U.N. Security Council meeting, um, it was an emergency meeting at night, about 9 p.m. mountain time. And uh, Putin decided to uh, make a statement in his country on television and basically say he was doing a special military operation in Ukraine. Of course, that wasn't a special military operation. He said it was basically get him in the eastern provinces that he had just designated as uh, independent And it wasn't. It was a full on uh, scale, full on attack on on all sides of the country, from Belarus, from the east, from, Ukra- from Russia, and then from the south, from Crimea. So full on attack on Ukraine. Um, this is something I had been, and I, this is not an I told you so moments, but I mean, I have been talking to clients about this for for weeks. Um, I have to say that the market and, and people, and actually the folks in Ukraine, everyone, there was an overwhelming sense that this just simply wouldn't happen. Uh, but there was, uh, I mean, the estimates went from, you know, hundred thousand troops to one hundred ninety thousand troops to over two hundred thousand troops on the borders, and basically this was a full on attack over overnight um, in the course of one night. Now, since then, uh, there have been multiple different areas that have been taken. If you look at the maps on BBC, they do a really good job of showing the areas of Ukraine that have been overtaken by by Russia. But there is a a, a po- very positive sense um, when you're following what's going on within Ukraine on the uh, the the optimism within the Ukrainian people so there's been they they're saying now 500,000 refugees have fled largely women and children have um, lots of them have moved moved into Poland, and these countries are actually more than willing to. Poland has has been accepting them graciously. Um, but you have all these women and children fleeing. You have men being asked to stay to fight, um, and you have locals picking up arms that have never held a gun before, and they are they are fighting. Um, and then uh, President Zelensky, who ha- was given flak before, um, he has uh, held his ground, and he is. You know, he stayed in Kiev and he gets up every morning and he gives his selfie videos and he basically says we're not leaving and we're fighting and they haven't overtaken Kiev. So um, within within Ukraine, I mean, it, it, as big as the Russian military is and everything, this actually, they haven't been able to take it. Um, super, super serious issues for, for um, the globe um, in terms of just changing the borders, uh, what, what Russia is doing. And then what happened over the weekend was very serious because... Uh, we, while the U.S. had said they weren't going to act on SWIFT, which is the you know the big banking system where we transact globally um, on SWIFT transactions, uh, the U.S. said they wouldn't um, they wouldn't put sanctions on SWIFT. Other countries around the world, including Europe, said they would um, be open to doing SWIFT. And Putin basically reacted and said he put his nuclear deterrence folks on high alert, and so that got everybody pretty anxious yet- yesterday, which is why oil prices went up on Sunday in Asian trade, um, and then now. The Ukrainian president Zelensky and, and Russia apparently have agreed to talk, but that has not happened yet. Um, so hopefully, you know, the, the big hope is that there can be a de-escalation. And there's a lot of question whether, you know, did, did Russia not think that the people would fight back? Did they not? Did they did they misread what was going to happen within Ukraine? Lots and lots of question marks. But the reality for the oil market is it's really serious in terms of, I mean, I would say right now, the fact that it's hanging on this hundred dollar level, at least 20 bucks to 25 bucks is is strictly geopolitical. And then these questions are, you know, if they hit the SWIFT system, if they hit the central and uh, most Countries basically said we, they would hit both Putin directly for sanctions, a bunch of oligarchs, as well as um, the central bank. And so, the big issue last night with with markets opening was that. And I, I haven't checked what happened within within Russia, but um, last night, Russian central banks decided, in reaction to to going after their central bank, the Russian central bank decided to raise interest rates twenty percent to basically combat um, what they thought would be a fleeing of, of folks out of the out of the ruble and the ruble has been tanking. So that's the local currency. So it's been an absolute mess. Um, so that's been taking place. And the, the real impact is people keep saying, oh, this is, you know, 20% of global production. I want to clarify to folks that Russia does not produce 12 million. It, Russia produces about right now, according to OPEC figures um, in, within the last OPEC report, probably 11.5 million barrels per day. Um, I also want to clarify, you know, and I had Tatiana Matrova on my podcast several weeks ago, Russia can easily produce 12 million barrels per day. Now that that's not in the context of, of war and and strife and, and everything and and swift sanctions and you name it sort of not having cash. That's very, very serious. But in terms of what Russia can produce, technically speaking, they're at about eleven and a half million barrels per day. We're still roughly a hundred million barrel a day market. So that is not twenty percent. Um, and then they probably export, I'm it's around three, I would say three to five million barrels a day of crude oil and probably three, you know, a couple million barrels a day of product. And we import, you know, a few hundred thousand barrels a day of of crude crude oil, crude oil a, a product i think a few hundred thousand barrels a day of product and a, and a few hundred thousand barrels a day of crude oil from from russia so probably about 500,000 barrels a day but in terms of the actual volumes just going off the market i don't think they're going to go off the market immediately and if they did i think that probably you know there'd be some disconnections and that probably go go to china so all that's um, very serious i don't i don't want to downplay that in any regard And I do want to bring this up, and I'm sure Justin would be happy to chime in on this piece. And that's that, you know, John Kerry is getting a lot of crap. Um, and I'm trying not to cuss because Justin asked me not to. Um, but John Kerry is getting a lot of crap because uh so you've probably seen on the media basically he did this interview with Reuters, and this came out after the actual Russian invasion, but he gave these comments, I think, to Reuters the day before the Russian invasion actually happened. So um, basically, he's focusing on climate in the context of this war, and it doesn't look good because he's essentially asking Putin, he hopes that Putin will, will focus on climate change regardless of war. And so that sounds really bad in the context of you have people you know, fighting for their lives um, in a real war raging on in, in Europe um, in 2022, which is really, really serious. Um, so he essentially, he gave these remarks with regards to, I think he gave them on February 21st, 2022. And he gave an interview. It was the special presidential envoy for climate um, implementation plus global climate action in 2022. So he did this and then he gave an interview with Reuters and he's talking about he's talking about climate change and this war and saying basically a war would distract from climate change. No crap, John Kerry. A war would distract from people's efforts on climate change as it should. Um, And we saw a reaction last night um, or yesterday. The the Chancellor of Germany. Um, I heard comments on CNBC World very, very late last night that Germany had actually been talking about nuclear and coal. And I went ahead and listened to uh, the Chancellor's speech that he gave, which was very moving. And he did talk about one needing to lean into a little more green be, or green energy so they could remove themselves from from Russian exposure. But he also talked specifically about um, building out natural gas uh natural gas facilities, natural gas storage as quickly as possible. And they also talked about actually meeting their NATO requirements for uh, their military and beefing up military spending. I think they earmarked um, several billion on military spending immediately. And then they added to that and basically said they, they've they earmarked an additional 2% of GDP every year for military spending. So this is a very serious, serious thing. This is the sort of come to Jesus moment. And this is not something to say I told you so by the energy folks or anything. This is just a reality check that this is um, – People, I mean, it's an extremely serious moment in history, um, an extremely serious moment in energy. And uh, and John Kerry has no excuse under the sun because he works for the people who basically said that that Russia was going to invade any moment. So talking about climate change and asking Putin to focus on it is absolutely ludicrous. And he should be tarred and feathered um, as much as possible on media and everywhere. And he should just basically shut up right now. So with that, Justin, uh, thoughts, feelings?
1: Yeah so it, it is the, the seriousness of the situation uh, globally and and the discussion is complex around energy you know that and and it's unfortunate that these type of events really bring to the forefront you know what we've seen over the last year in Europe with with gas and now we have conflict and everything else wrapping into this in this discussion about how do citizens of the world meet their needs for for energy and um it, it, there is no simple answer and and folks are, are feeling that they're seeing that now. And um, the folks like you and I that, that are in this industry, and we're, we're going to continue to work to, to make sure people have affordable, reliable energy. And um, you know, again, it's so unfortunate that things like this have to, to bring this to the, the forefront.
0: Yeah. And, and outside of energy, I just want to point out that this is not, this is, I, I could care less about who's right and who's wrong and, you know, w- which energy. I mean, if, if if green tech would solve this problem, I'd be all for it. I mean, in the context of this, I, I really could give a crap. Um, but I think it, it is super serious when, um, and I actually think that, I mean, leadership in the space is really important. So sort of separate from, you know, the Russia-Ukraine situation is extremely serious. What the folks in Ukraine are going through is, is um, I mean, is real war. If you're if you haven't seen good coverage, I, I would tell people really look at BBC. They've done a really good job of showing what's going on and taking teasing out sort of the fake stuff. And and Russia, of course, is trying to is putting a lot of fake news um, behind uh, a lot of footage and stuff and saying it's not real. But BBC has done an excellent job uh, of sort of covering it to see what's actually going on. But separate from that, you know, I have been, you know, especially in, in thinking about talking to you about the Wilson Basin and and looking at, you know, the the basins and the place I, I'm been honest in some of my podcasts, so I really want to make it clear. I am extremely disappointed in U.S. Uh, e and leadership by by CEOs. Um, so firstly, I think that pre pre, you know, Russia, Ukraine situation, you know, even even with that, set that aside. You know, we've had prices run up. We have seven and a half percent inflation. And we've had this, you know, hold the line um, by these public operators on, you know, keeping, you know, enjoying the profits and giving all that money back to shareholders and talking about keeping production pretty flattish or increasing incrementally. Truth be told, I think they're increasing it more than they're really letting on. Um, But setting that aside, you know, the emphasis on net zero is just driving me bananas. And just having this leadership in the space of honesty, of honest leaders that I'm an oil and gas company. I produce oil and gas. I do it well. The world needs it. And this is, you know, this is how I'm going to this is what my company is and how I'm going to do it well. I am just I'm disgusted that we have public companies that have not, you know, um, are, are just have leaned in so much onto this, onto the greenwashing and onto, you know, this push by these investors. And I, I, you know, people know that I, I'm a big fan of EOG from a technical standpoint. They finally said in their last earnings call that I just listened to, I was really disappointed to hear their net zero by 2040 um, statement. And I, the reason I say I'm disappointed, it's because that, you know, when you, comp- when you say I'm net zero by 2050, or I'm net zero by 2040, or whatever it is, you're basically endorsing the international Energies, um, the International Energies climate change plans on the IA net zero by twenty fifty, which people say, oh, still requires investment. Well who cares if it still requires investment in oil and gas they also say in those same reports which you're all saying you're complying with is that we should stop investing immediately in in oil and gas which would be devastating um not only would be devastating to to people across the world but would be devastating oil and gas production and we already see these these skyrocketing prices so it doesn't actually make sense and it is complete pandering and it just drives me it drives me crazy and drives me more crazy right now is that you know i think a lot of these CEOs got lucky that their earnings calls were before um, this invasion because they would be in a they would be in a different position um, and they you know they should have had their their feet held with fire a little bit more of saying you know hey prices are pretty high you keep saying that we have a you're waiting for the market to balance and you don't want to add you know barrels into this oversupplied market but you know if you're saying now that you know, the market's flipped and and we don't have an oversupplied market, you probably should be adding some barrels back. And I know there's caution. And I mean, I really do appreciate the, the, the sincere caution of not wanting to throw barrels back onto the market. But that's not the message. And that's not what U.S. operators are actually saying. And, and I, I granted, I think they should be cautious in terms of just turning up the heat and, and throwing a bunch of barrels on the market, because I think that, you know, we're headlong into a recession and demand is going to falter pretty considerably. Um, but that being said, when you have an energy crisis and a war raging on, it doesn't quite look as good to be saying you're about uh, returning money to the shareholders anymore. I think that I think the tune has to change a little bit. Any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, so absolutely. We're, we're looking at an entirely different scenario now, right? Uh, you and I have been in this long enough now that we've seen several price events. And it, it's puzzling uh, to, to someone like us that has seen the industry that's been so reactive to price historically, right? I mean, the fact that prices are $95 here today and in North Dakota, that we've got rig counts in the, the low 30s. That is something if you would have told me five years ago that, hey, oil is going to be a hundred bucks um, here in, in a few years and, and North Dakota is going to have 33 rigs. I would I would have laughed uh, in your face saying that that's ludicrous. Uh, that's not how the industry works, but we are seeing a completely different shift. And, and the Williston Basin is real heavy on the, the public, uh, publicly traded companies, uh, roughly an 80-20 mix when you look at production. Um, and so uh, the U.S., uh, the Williston Basin is real sensitive to that um, and the, these approaches that we're seeing.
0: Yeah, and the Wilson Basin in particular, and I would agree with that, because I think that um I, I think that it's it's man, so the Wilson Basin is a beautiful cookie. You know, they say Oreo cookie formation. I mean, it's, it's, I, w- I don't want to say simple, but it's well known. It is the it is the oldest unconventional oil play we have um, that we know of, you know, globally in the system that we've actually, you know, drilled and developed. So it's well known. And these are aspects that when we think of like Midland and why Midland thrived sort of during 2020 and 2021, um, it's because it's shallow, it's well known, had a lot of verticals, you know, it was sort of easy to just go at it. Um, and the Wilson actually, for many reasons, it's not shallow. I mean, we're talking everything in, you know in the Bakken, roughly ten thousand feet deep. However, it is extremely well known, so it is one of those things that you take the sort of the risk out of it. You're not you're not drilling a, a dry hole. Um, but there's all these questions on around inventory, which I would like to get in. And I know we've discussed it before. I do think it is. Uh, I think it's incorrect, and I think there's a couple of different you know reasons for that. Um, and but I also think that the, the Wilson competes at, with. Um, it's is losing that love one because it doesn't have doesn't have the private, so it has a disproportionate amount of publics. I mean, I was I was telling Justin before we got onto the call that I had you know was crashing through earnings calls last night when I was watch or and then watching the news afterward. And you know, Continental Resources is a public company and is running eight rigs, um, you know, and they've mentioned that they didn't lean in too hard on the issue, but they have leaned into it. Um, so in their earnings call, yes, they mentioned the Bakken, but it is not the focus by any means, and and yet they're leading in the Bakken. So the next highest you know, rig player is, is marathon at three rigs. So Continental has eight rigs. This is their, you know, this is where they're driving their growth and stuff. Yet they're talking in the earnings call about the Powder River because they've bought, um, you know, they bought Samson's assets um, uh, two years ago and then they bought, uh, and I believe they just bought Chesapeake's assets, you know, in the Powder River. Um, So now they have a decent position in the Powder River Basin, which for me actually, this would have made sense for Wilson Basin Company five years ago for, to really get into the powder. If you're looking for more um, access, especially in the Rockies, it's closer. Um, there's a lot, there's more risk um, within, within the powder for sure. It's, it's definitely not the, the Bakken, but also Continental got into, it just got into the Permian Basin as well. Um, so that is, uh, and that's fascinating because I mean the person, the folks who sold that asset, another company that I have a big bone to pick with, but uh, Pioneer Natural Resources sold that asset and Continental Resources bought it. And you know, what's fascinating, saying to me is that, you know, when Pine- when Continental bought it, they were like, this is great. It's wonderful. And they're explaining to their investors how wonderful this asset is and how they can, you know, it's, it makes it's great value and everything. Of course, they're going to say that. But then of course, when Pioneer sells it, it's, it's not that great. Um, you know, and that's why we sold it. And this is just, it's really important, I think, for people to realize is that it's never there's two sides to every story. Um, And then it's, it's not, it's not crap for an asset, uh, although it's probably not the greatest thing since sliced bread either, or wouldn't, wouldn't have been sold. Um, But people have to talk their book and they have to really promote their story. And I think that's, that's important in this context, but the Wilson sort of loses out here because even these, even folks like continental are not really talking heavy about the Bakken. And, and I actually think in terms of if you were trying to grow production um, and I mean, it, there's an inventory side here. I mean, Hess, I didn't love Hess's comments, um, switching gears from Continental, but Hess basically said what they, at $60 oil, um, they have decades of inventory um, at 20, basically they have 2,100 wells left, they've said right now. Which I don't think people like hearing that number because it seems relatively low, um, And that they have decades of inventory only because they're going to run what, how many, they're
1: how many running, yeah.
0: They're, yeah, so they're going to run a few rigs, and they may add in a fourth rig, I think they said, um, only if, you know, if, if this works with, with the numbers with oil prices, but they're going to add basically shy of 100 wells a year. And because if it's 100 wells a year, then, of course, they have decades of inventory, but 2100 wells just doesn't seem like a lot. Um, so, and they're one of the few public companies really talking about the Bakken ex- exclusively, but it's basically the Bakken and, and Guyana that are their plays. So, I mean, it's really, uh, from a public standpoint, that that's what's hurting the Bakken in a lot of regards is because the public companies that are there and drilling aren't really talking about it or giving it the tension that um, it sort of needs. So I'm curious as to your thoughts on that. And what is the state's reaction to that and how the the state is sort of responding to um, the lack of, uh, you know, actual talk about what's happening in the Wilson Basin?
1: Yeah, so there's two things to unpack there. You've got the the inventory discussion, which I want to dig into, and then we've got the gas capture discussion, which will also tie into the production growth and and some of those limitations. But on the inventory, um, here just in the last week, I just released uh, some new uh, views on on inventory in the Bakken. And the Bakken is one thing, again, it's it's a challenging thing for folks that are not… That haven't been watching it for years. That have that are just coming into it. If if they're they're new to, to looking at the play, and and getting your mind wrapped around how these shale plays developed, I think is is crucial to the discussion, right? Uh, if if you come into looking at these shale basins in the same way you look at your checkbook account, right, where you've got a set number and every dollar you spend is one dollar less, right? Every if they think about it, of every well you drill is one less well for forever in the Bakken at, at certain inventory. Price levels, um, the the Bakken. What what I've shown here in the last two years, we've added more sixty dollar wells multiple times over than sixty dollar wells that were drilled in the last two years. Meaning that technology that has been developed over the last several years and in, in what we'll call the core. I don't. I'm not a big fan of that term, but we'll, we'll call it the core. That's what most people are familiar with. The core is rapidly expanding in the Bakken. So two years ago, the number of if if XYZ company would have said, we have X number of wells left to drill at $60 oil. That was at a much higher drilling and completion cost world. That was with what we knew about technology and acreage positions two years ago. Now with sub $6 million wells technology moving out and we're seeing extremely good well performance in areas that, that we did not have labeled as $60 locations. Right. Um, And so very, very rapidly, industry is moving out and and pushing this forward. So the fact that we're adding more $60 inventory than we're pulling out I think is a message that that needs to get out there that that you can't look at this as a static thing that this is fluid this is going to continue to evolve over the last 20 years. I mean and now we're talking decades long and these these outward projections. I can't imagine 10 years from now, 20 years from now when we're having this discussion. What this is going to look like, right? You have to think about it with, with that evolution in your mind of how these plays.
0: Well, will, I mean, it's, will... it, it always reminds me of, and I want to dig into this a little bit. So I, I apologize for interrupting, but I want you to sort of, I want to harp in on this because I think it's not, it's not a topic that is well understood. I think you're 100 right at this core. I basically, I think what what I hear, and I, I want to hone in on this specifically, is because you know when I'm speaking with clients, and I overwhelmingly, I've I've been telling a lot of folks there's something that, in addition to the ESG and the investor pressure and this sort of pandering, which has driven me crazy, and and that pandering I was talking about in the beginning, I forgot to really mention, you know, part of that really is this that ESG focus, which I I just think is is heartily misplaced, especially now. Um, but this whole idea that when these public operators most of the CEOs have a very, um, you know, have a very clear trajectory on oil prices, and that is up. You know, it is going to go north forever, um, and it just—it's—it's it's not. I'm yes. Prices can run up. We we certainly have geopolitics that could absolutely hold prices up. However, the global economy and the U.S. economy is not going to hold up. It's not going to hold up at these prices. It's it's frankly it's not going to hold up even if prices were to come down a bit. I think inflation and everything else is is looking pretty painful right now. Um. So that being said, you know they could just be wrong on that. But but something that holds up in that you know why do they think prices are going up? It's it's the shortfall of investment and it's the I.E.A. says look look at all the charts, say all the demand that's coming up, and they think that there's a lack of of, you know when they t- we talk about private companies. So the question gets into what about the private operators, and it's like, well, they just don't have the running room. You know, there just isn't enough of that inventory left. There's nothing that, that good inventory. And you know, since 2014, the discussion, as as you mentioned, Justin, about tier one, tier two, tier three, tier four acreage and inventory, and no one would ever explain it, right? They would just say, you know, off offhand, off the cuff in the earnings call, they would just say, well, that's tier one, tier two, etc inventory. There was no definition definition attached to it. There was no deep questions. There was no deep deep dive on it. So one, it wasn't like everyone had a map in front of them and we knew what was tier one, what was tier two, et cetera. And that changed dramatically. Between 2014 and now, you are drilling wells um, that you would have said are not, you know, you're drilling wells that you would have said are not, that's not tier one, that's not tier two, and yet they're being drilled. And so I think something that people have to really realize, and this is especially true for the Bakken, is that Absolutely. People thought that, you know, what you knew today um, is it's just the that would not be drilled 10 years ago. Um, people said you couldn't go lower into the three forks that, that that wasn't going to happen. And I think what's economical and what's viable is really important. And because of this, because of the skew in the Bakken, you particularly lose this story um, even more. Um, but I think EOG mentioned it not in their last earnings call, but in their in their call that they had. They had a Goldman Sachs uh, call that they did. And they put that, I mean, you, I think you can listen to on Seeking Alpha as I did. Um, and Ezra Jacobs is talking, it's in January, and they're talking about, you know, the inventory. And And they're they're talking about the Eagleford and saying, well, look, you know, the stuff that we're drilling in the Eagleford now is not, you know, these are not monster wells, but they're extremely economic, you know. And I think that's the difference of realizing is that, you know, yeah, these aren't 3000 barrel a day wells, um, but they're they've developed this play and they have all the infrastructure. And so the costs have been lowered and they have this acreage. And I think that's where people have to really appreciate um, assets individually and the geology and, and these individual plays, which I always, you know, that's how I started this business in my, my studying and everything was on individual assets and operators and their behavior. And people sort of We're sort of focused on all this high level stuff with these big public companies and we're forgetting what's going on at ground level and on the rock. And all you have to do is look at the private companies and see what they're doing and where they're drilling. And when you see where these private companies are drilling across the U.S., where the permits are, they are absolutely not where the publics are at. And that's not because the rock is sucky. It's because the one they have an opportunity to drill there, two they, um, I mean th- they have the actual place, and prices are high enough to where this is working. So we talk about inventory and acreage and, and how much we have and what's core. Prices matter a lot, and sixty is a pretty great price overall in the U.S. A lot of acreage becomes super viable. That's what a lot of people aren't appreciating, including these CEOs who are all telling you know the world that we don't have enough acreage in the U.S. A lot of the acreage that they thought was not great became viable at sixty dollars oil. We're now at ninety-five dollars oil. So let a, let it rip, folks. The the private companies are letting it rip, and it's it's unfortunate that the Bakken doesn't have enough of those um, private companies to sort of see this come to fruition. And it's also one of those things of it's kind of like the Powder River. I think when you don't know enough about the plays, disinformation you know sort of holds, and people just are skeptical, um, and therefore you don't get a lot of the. I, I, not not just publics, but you don't get a lot of the privates coming up there, um, both from midstream and upstream side to sort of talk about it and get excited. Um, so you're just kind of in a pickle. And I think that inventory story of, of one, this is really good rock. And I mean, Julie, not Julie Lefever, but she, she's one of them. Um, what's the old, old report from the 1970s? Basically, that's the price. Lee price. Yes. that said there were yep. billions of barrels of oil in the Bakken. And we knew this. We knew this in the 70s, and it wasn't until you know it wasn't until horizontal drilling and hydraulic fracturing and horizontal drilling really started in the 90s. But it wasn't until you know 2008 that this thing really ripped. So the idea that we you know what we know now is exactly what it is um, is just kind of ridiculous. And I I completely agree with Justin. He put out this this great report on on his website on the on the inventory of numbers. Um, and maybe we can just jump. You know, feel free to comment on everything I just said. Um, would love to get your thoughts on that, and then we can jump into sort of some of those numbers. And some of those things that you put out in that report.
1: Yeah. So no. Again, the report it's a, it's a slide deck. Every two years now, I've kind of gotten this routine of, of updating, you know, well performance, acreage positions, and and you know how neighboring wells are performing and, and what that means from an inventory basis. It's it's you know not rocket science. I mean, you you know where wells are performing. Well, and you know uh you know spatially how many other wells are in that area, and you can make some assumptions and some bookends and and to come up with hopefully what are some reasonable numbers with what we see today and with the big emphasis on today right and so two years ago this analysis looked very different than it did today and that's again when we look at uh again the not only well performance but then price right again with with producers driving down that. Cost right, we're we're sub six. You, you've seen that now in a number of earnings calls. Um, you know, we used to be talking about eight million dollar wells, nine million dollar wells. There was a time ten plus million dollar wells wasn't uncommon. And so, again, those are all things you can slide around on that scale. Where, where what's economic, what's not economic, and and, and that all c- comes together uh, for a, a real positive story. Um, again, t- twenty years ago the, the, the Bach and three forks I, I kind of had a little bit of a joke in one of my presentations that you know we had zero years of inventory left right and and it just continues to evolve right you have to get back to that starting at point zero and then figure out where we are today and understand that that this is not static
0: yeah and that I mean so the sub I think one of those things of the 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 prices so one, the play is known, you know, it is 10,000 feet deep. So it's not like you, you're going to drill, you know, a, we were drilling, you know, $4 million wells. So that, that, that hasn't happened. That's probably not going to happen. I mean, depth has a lot to do with it. This isn't the DJ basin. This isn't shallow, you know, sort of uh, plays. So that, that's a component to it. But the fact that you have lowered costs. And, and they've sort of, I think they, you know, hung out 7 million and they have come lower. The inflation piece, and I want to we'll loop this, I want to come back to the inventory immediately, but what is the North Dakota and the Wilson Basin seeing for inflation right now? And I would, you know, overwhelmingly in, in my gut, I would say you, you don't, Because you don't have the competition, you simply don't see the levels of inflation. You may have to probably work a little harder to actually get rigs and crews and activity and compete maybe on the labor side. But in terms of overall the cost craziness and things that the premier is saying, I'm guessing you guys are not, you're not quite seeing that, nor will you. And that could be also a benefit to maybe incentivize some folks to, to look at the Bakken a little harder.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the, obviously, you've got the base material cost that, that, that influences everyone universally. Um, that that's a very real, not only on the drilling completion side, on the midstream side as well. Um, any type of, of new projects, we've got significant inflation numbers that that are skewing things that again we thought we knew uh, a year or two ago. So uh, those are all factors. Workforce is a big factor um, going forward. That's going to continue to be a challenge. Gas capture, you know, when when we think about oil. Again, we'll just come back to this ninety five dollar world we're at today if if the industry we've got two two forces at work, right? If there was a desire to to push production higher and the desire to meet company um, gas capture targets, right we, For years we talked about the the state's requirements of you know it's currently at ninety one percent gas capture or, or flip that to nine percent flaring, um you're seeing much, much more aggressive capture rate expectations from a lot of the major uh, publicly traded companies and the midstream assets in North Dakota uh, that at least today would really struggle to if there was a desire if prices inflated even further and and the company said look we want to ramp up production but we also want to keep our gas capture targets I don't think you could See much higher growth than than what we're thinking here on these low single digits type, uh, at least from a liquid side. Gas, you know, we'll, we'll get into this, but we've got a real robust expectations on the gas side and, and the challenges that that's going to bring to the basin.
0: And that's overall. So, I mean, you bring up a really good point, and I think I have heard a bit of controversy in terms of how much people are buying, like. I've asked a few folks on that on that side of of you know are people holding back in the Bakken because of gas capture and I'm not sure I've got a I, I feel like I have a consensus and one that's because there just aren't enough operators sort of running and gunning on that side so that could be a component to it so certainly if you are um you know in the ESG focus I mean gas capturing and making making sure you are not flaring is a huge component and and I don't rip on that that's you know reducing your flaring and reducing methane emissions are all great. So I'm not saying you should be letting that rip by any means. Um, and that's certain, but that's, that is a component. And in, in the Wilson Basin specifically, I mean, you're seeing an EIA production, North Dakota production is up. So you guys are, what's the state, production is over, well over a million barrels per day. Um, state production as of November, you're 1.2, 1.3 One point, million barrels per
1: day? 1.1 here at year end. So we're, okay. we've had a tough winter. Uh, we'll, okay. we'll see that reflected the December, January, even February numbers have been been tough. It's for been all
0: tough, Wilson Basin or for winter. North Dakota?
1: North, I mean, the, the, the bulk of it, Montana is still a very small consideration. Okay. So
0: one point, so over a million barrels a day, the height was well over 1.5 million barrels per day and has come off and, and did that in 2014. Did it again in, you know, in the, when you guys shut in wells for the first time, you know, or at least shut in horizontal wells during COVID. Um, so all, all that, all all that factors, but it's the gas side. And I really emphasize this when I'm talking to a lot of folks is that we're at the highest gross withdrawals. I mean, we're on record levels. So I, um, get super frustrated, especially when people are talking about this Russia-Ukraine stuff of, you know, talking about the largest oil and gas producers. And, you know, to clarify to listeners, the U.S. is the largest oil producer in the world. We are still today, even, even with our reductions that we've had, um, we are 11 point, almost 11.8 million barrels per day as of November of, of 2021. And we are at gross withdrawals for gas production. We're at 113 BCF a day. So we are record highs for gross withdrawals. Um, and when you break that, look, start looking at that gas. Gas and something I've been showing is is looking at just like completions, like stacking up all the gas plays and looking at horizontal wall completions. They're a fraction of what they were a couple years ago, and the rig count is, is you know, obviously has not recovered on the gas side. And gas prices have moved up, but we're producing a crap ton of gas. So one, this is a much, this is a smaller molecule. It is easy to get out of the ground. You know, this is, uh, we obviously know the story of the Marcellus, but we have a massive amount of associated gas, and in the Permian, we're seeing well over 18 BCF a day of. associated gas, we're, we're starting to near those concerns about associated gas again. Um, but in every play, you know, as these, you know, I think from the shut-ins, as these plays got older, you know, as you talk about the base production um, and hitting the older wells and these, the bubble point in the wells, and you're just producing a lot of gas. Um, and I think we've talked before offline recently about this massive amount of gas production, especially within the Wilson Basin in North Dakota, one, if you weren't even going to drill anything, you're, you're going to have this gas production. And then two, if you're also drilling, you know, and you're going to have this gas production and I, if you're drilling, I'm assuming not all the, I mean, good wells with high pressure as well also have this gas production. Um, so, and that's always was the thing in the Delaware Basin. I mean, you're deep, you're over pressured, you're thermally mature, and you had a lot of gas that comes with it. Um, and so you have to deal with all that, which is great. So you get 3,000 barrels of of oil day in that well, but you have to deal with all the gas that comes with it. And when I'm looking at decline curves across, um, you know, across basins, I'm seeing when oil's up um, for 20, I'm seeing real big bumps on on the gas decline curve um, when I'm looking at the Delaware and I'm looking at other places. So it's just something that I'm not sure people are really thinking about, one, not just Wilson Basin, but how much gas there is. And the Wilson Basin specifically, I think is a great example of you know, you guys are producing a lot of gas. And what is that, you know, are you seeing the same things for the curves? I mean, regardless if you were going to, one is the, is the gas curve up on the decline side, um, on new wells and separate from that, uh, gas is just up overall, right?
1: Yeah. And, and you'll, you'll love this. If you have not, I know you and I for, for years, we've, we've dug into type curves and, and gotten into the, the, the weeds on a lot of fun stuff. What is real fascinating, you know, year after year, you could see, you just take your oil curve, take your gas curve, and you could. and It was very rhythmic, right? Every year the wells were getting better. They'd start with a higher month one production. You know, overall cumes were were going up. Twenty twenty one, the world changed when you when you look at type curves. So if you start pulling data and you start looking at type curves from the Bakken, they look extremely different in twenty twenty one because of this gas capture consideration. You are seeing the oil curve instead of having this high month one peak production, it's starting significantly lower. It is fairly uh, a lot more steady. You know, we don't have a lot of 2021 data that's that's public yet. So what we've got, um, you're looking at this first six-month window that is still producing high volumes, but it, it is not the same type of curve we've looked at in the past. Gas is the same way. When you think about gas capture, if, if a company wants to, to hit 97% capture or 98% capture, a big chunk of the gas flowing from a, a typical Bakken well is in those first several months. And you can't just let it rip because of the midstream assets, they're not configured in most cases to handle that month one, month two, month three of the old style of bring it online, let it flow hard. You're now having to modify how those wells are coming online and you're, it's crystal clear in the data, um, but the curves look much, much different. And so we're almost going to have to I've been thinking about this here, you know, how we're going to look at a, a Bakken curve, right? It used to be, what's the 30-day mm-hmm. IP? What's the 60-day IP? That I don't know if that's going to be a good metric anymore. We might have to look at what's the six-month QM, right? How does that compare yeah, so to you're a saying, previous though, you're,
0: year? You're saying basically that operators are throttling production back. So, be- meaning in the very beginning production of those wells, the production is actually being throttled. And I was looking at those. I mean, I was looking at curves, and I'm just pulling it up right now to make sure I have this right. But that you also have a fraction of the wells. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of one. You had production shut in in you had everything shut stuff shut in in 2020, brought back online, and then you have the new stuff. Is what I mean. 600-some wells, I think, at least are showing through in or Prism. That's what's in the sort of the system that I'm looking at. Is that about accurate for how many wells you're showing for 2021?
1: 2021, yeah, I think we're closer to that 700-some, yeah. Okay. yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at... Yeah, that that gas that gas is up. I mean, basically, if I'm if I'm normalizing for ten thousand foot laterals, which is basically what the Bakken is, is is everything's ten thousand feet. That is, a, we we haven't seen incrementally longer laterals, which is in, we've seen it in in every place. So there's something to be said about these acreage positions as well. And I do also want to get into spacing um, and sort of why we haven't heard about the privates and Krakens and stuff like that. But when I'm looking at the curves, just normalized, and I know they're not perfect, and I know you know you can only take so much from these decline curves that you're pulling, and I know that's not perfect, but they're kind of mushed, right? They're kind of stacked on top of each other. The last several years of production, which is not a bad thing. I mean, right? Costs are being lowered, production's being held up. You know, cumes actually look good. If my if my cumulative production profile looks good, or one is even in line with the year prior, but is above it, and actually year over year, we're we're seeing that there it looks like 2021 is is roughly in line, but the gas site is up, um, and actually. Actually, that's what I'm saying. If across every play, the gas site is up, and you do see that, so the oil. I'm looking at the decline curve right now, and the oil, you know, they're stacked on top of each other year over year, and they come down. Uh, but the gas curve actually, uh,
1: gas is flat, right?
0: It's exactly it moves yep. up, and that that um. So you have a lot of gas, um, and how much ethane are you rejecting? I mean, how much of this gas are you actually really being able to utilize? And I I mean, this is really important because we have a crap ton of gas. And I think this is especially important when we talk about contexts that can't, you know, North Dakota is not far from Canada. I mean, this is when we we talk about lots of Canadian gas production and why we need LNG exports and, and obviously in the context of what's going on now. But but even if we didn't have this this crisis, um, you know, in Ukraine bef- before that, we had we have a need for global natural gas. And it's just really important to know like where it is and, and where it can move. And, you know, whenever I think of the Baca, I do think tons of natural gas, you know, whether you can get this to Canada or whether you can get to, this to the coast, it still needs to get there and be exported. So, but right now, where is that gas going and how yeah, much is so being right,
1: uh, Yeah, so we're, uh, you know, we just look at base, uh, we're, flaring numbers end of the year were about 6%, so which is above state targets, which is encouraging on that front. Our gas, uh, obviously North Dakota, not high population. Uh, we're a, a huge net exporter of the gas that, that is being produced. Uh, so we're extremely reliant on the northern border pipeline. Uh, less so, but still reliant on the Alliance pipeline going down to the Midcon, uh, again, where it's competing in that Chicago market, competing with you know Marcellus gas, if there's any Gulf gas, trying to compete in that same market. Um, but these but again, are wide, I mean, the,
0: that's a wide-grade pipeline. I mean, you're rejecting a decent amount of ethane, right, before you? Uh,
1: the rejecting ethane into northern border. So there's, our gas that's coming into the residue streams is, on a typical basis, fairly hot right? We're in most cases, if you look at the exit tailgate for many of the plants in North Dakota, you're looking at 1175 BTU, almost 1200 BTU in some scenarios. So they are, they're looking for a home to get that ethane and and tuck it in uh, because again, we do not have a local market for it. We are seeing uh, some of the gas plants capturing a a piece of that ethane, moving it down uh, in that wide grade stream to Bushton, Kansas on the one oak system. Uh, That has been kind of a, a, Dynamic that shifted in twenty twenty one. What is the long term uh, outlook for that? You know that the market's going to decide that. Uh, But regardless, physical space, BTU considerations, all things are are pointing to to certainly challenges to continue to meet our gas transmission needs for the residue stream as well as those Y grade um, and, and the NGL stream. We're we're in need in the next two to four years of some significant expansion projects coming to light.
0: And how do the, I mean, I know you can't speak, directly to what your conversations are with specific, I mean, I'm not asking you to have a specific midstream players, but that is important, you know, when I'm talking to clients and I'm talking to folks and and you know, in the context of the the multitude of issues that we, we've just touched the surface on for the Bakken, because it's, you know, there's a, there's a lot of good, I, I want to say, but it is complex um, in the Wilson Basin. And so from a midstream perspective, it is complicated, right? It's the and this has been something we've talked about for years. Um, I've, I've known Justin for almost a decade now, and this is, I cut my teeth on on the Bakken and the Wilson Basin and gas and midstream and uh, building out gas infrastructure has always been a huge component of getting this play up and going and getting it running. So now to keep it going, I mean, you still have to maintain that midstream investment and in infrastructure, but you can't, you're struggling on, you know, to the the maintenance of the upstream, right, uh, of actually the drilling activity. And, and I know that you don't need both necessarily, but the problem is, is that there's a mental, I mean, there's a hurdle. And and we see this with private investment, with private equity of the, it's just, it's the the talk about the Wilson Basin says, ah, there's just not enough inventory left. You know, the spacing, it's all depleted and we can't put those wells, you know, it's already too tight and and there's just nowhere to put the well. I mean, the first thing I always hear from, you know, private equity guys is, ah, I just, there's, there's no wells left to drill. And, you know, and so why would I best up there, and then you have midstream folks that are up that are, that are trying to sort of navigate this. and And my my gut reaction is that that's always ridiculous. Uh, where you find oil, you find more oil. So I, I'm not concerned about getting more oil out of the Bakken. I am concerned about the perceptions, uh, which is why I like to work with folks and play in the space and help them really understand what's what's available. I think there is a lot a lot of opportunity in the Bakken, but it's how you know getting these midstream guys to really you know figure all this out. So. What are those conversations like, and are, is that a problem right now of getting, you know, matching up the midstream and upstream, but also just the midstream that's there of making sure it's it's you're getting the investment that you need, and and are, is there a struggling of understanding what's sort of happening, um, or just a struggling of interest, and where does that stand?
1: Yeah, so so certainly a, a struggling of, of understanding, right? You you need. Not only the players up here on the midstream side, but then you need the, the the financial sector to to buy in, right? These are these are decades long projects that that companies are working on, and um, it, it becomes extremely challenging when the messaging is out there. You know, like you just said, that well, uh, the Bakken, you know, they, they may have seen some report that said oh, the Bakken's only got ten more years of of inventory than it's done, right? And how do you finance and, and put together the next? gas plant the next transmission project how do you put that on your books from uh you know f- commitments on these pipeline systems and so these are these are real issues and so if, uh, again that's one of my goals is to get this message out there that look this is you need to think about the Bakken differently we have incredible midstream needs that are going to continue to need to we're going to need you know billions of additional dollars of in investment here in the next five years ten years and that's with what we know today let alone what we know five years from now um, and so to close that gap and and to bring that knowledge level up for for all players is is absolutely critical. Um we I, I, I've got an example where you know I won't name names but again a financial company reaching out saying you know why why would this company even be doing this? They, they don't and it's like no you have to think about it differently this is this is why they they may be doing this because there's tremendous amount of opportunity in in that part of the state or or whatever else is going on that again that knowledge and that, that we need to bring the intellect up uh on these conversations uh several notches i think
0: i absolutely agree with that and you know that i've been honest with you and and well i'd say i'm relatively critical of i think the state needs to do more of getting that message out and you alone Aren't going to be able to, and it's great what you do. And uh, if you if you guys aren't aware of, of of the North Dakota Pipeline Authority's website and the data Justin produces, I mean it's it's very transparent. It's fantastic. I mean, we have a lot of transparency on the Wilson Basin because of Justin, and it is it's really good. Um, but it, I, yeah, I mean, I spend my day to day in life with you know talking with investors and talking with private equity and talking with you know and, and studying the public side and looking at individual assets and it's hard. And so I think I truthfully believe that the state needs to do a better job of actually uh, a bringing in high level, you know, you, you have to be having, you have to have an investment conference. I mean, you need to have banks and stuff coming up there and talking about this on the ways that you would have seen it sort of in 2014. And you're going to have to reattract that interest and investment because you have all this, you know, pressure on on the ESG side and massive amounts of misinformation and the, the mismatch between the upstream and the midstream, right. Uh, that you were just, uh, we've just been talking about um, of not fully understanding that. I mean, I remember at the this amazing SPE workshop, which I've referenced multiple times in different podcasts. But there was an SPE workshop on the Bakken, which you were at in 2014 here in Denver, and it was uh, one of the first really good, really really good workshops where people were just very candid and transparent. And it was there was something happening in the in the Bakken, which was there was a ton of refracts going on. And I always tell people, you know, uh, refracts if you're gonna actually have a play that's going to refract. You're going to do it in your oldest, most well-known play, and you're going to do it where you had oil and you had good wells. And the Bakken is probably, like, absolutely, I think, prime for it. So if you think that your short little horizontal laterals with crappy, you know, simple frack jobs from EOG, which were monster wells in the partial field, you know in 2008, if you think that those can't give you a little more oil, I think you're absolutely full. I mean, you're, you're absolutely full of it because uh, w- we know that this play gave a ton of oil with very limited, you know, complete, with very limited stimulation and completion designs. Um, and I still think it's lagged even over the years as Hess and Continental have sort of, you know, ramped up and tweaked their completion designs. It's still, you know, when when companies were real, really ramping up on more sophisticated designs and more, you know, you know, 100 mesh and 100 Flu loading stuff. The back end just wasn't getting the same attention. I don't know if it had the same completion engineers, but it just wasn't. I you didn't see these. Big completion jobs, and I still think the Bakken has kind of lagged there. If if you wanted to really, you know, could you tweak it a little bit? Um, when you don't have a lot of love and a lot of attention and focus, it sort of misses that, and it's it's just like when you if you're you've been competing, the Bakken's been competing with the Permian since it sort of you know came off the map in 2014, um, and the rig count flipped and everything, and all the love sort of went to the Permian. And I think that if you're if you're looking for you know, finding oil and tweaking it. I mean, the Bakken has it. It just is, uh, it's a matter of understanding it. And, you know, are you going to lay laterals in between each other? Maybe not now. I mean, at these prices, you probably could. Um, But it's really about uh, who has the acreage can folks actually get in? And I think the entry point, uh, you know, feel free to comment on all that. I'd love your thoughts on if you disagree with what I just said. Um, but is, is part of it that people, you know, new entrants can't make it? That, you know, something you always hear is the acreage is taken up. Everybody has everything. So how do folks actually invest? Because if the acreage is already taken up by the folks that are there and they're not drilling, you know, what can anyone do?
1: Right. Yeah. And, and that's a true statement. I mean, there, we, we've, we know. Uh, again, I hate to say we know where the extents of the Bakken are because I'll be proved wrong ten years from now of, of how that continues to play out. Um, but yeah, uh, largely, again the, the Bakken acreage—you know, eighty percent of of our production is from those publicly traded, and and where they're going to allocate their funds, uh, the Bakken's always competing for that. Uh, We'd like to think that we we've solved a big piece of that puzzle on the the crude oil side. We're seeing in very, very strong netbacks in the Bakken uh, on the crude oil side. It's just this gas side and this longevity discussion right now that that are front and center of of kind of our principal issues of of getting information out there.
0: Do you think there's an opportunity uh, for publics to, you know, uh, to, to carve off stuff to some privates? Because, I mean, you know, we, we saw a few years ago when Kraken was sort of going to town and, you know, in 2018, there was a, there was a quite a bit of love for, for private equity in the Bakken. Um, and I would say that, you know, I've heard of plenty of companies trying to get assets in the Bakken for years and just haven't been able to because it's it's sort of all taken up. So I think there are folks that private guys which would love to get in and simply can't get it. And, and it's there's sort of a disconnect where the public's aren't really talking about it, but they're not also willing to carve off their positions. And then you have massive, you know, differences between a bid as spread, which have been just completely out of the realm of, of you know, anything normal in the past couple of years, especially during COVID, you know, folks thought the bidest spread would, you know, that would come down and narrow and it didn't quite, especially in the Bakken, it seemed that, you know, what, what uh, if a public company was willing to carve something off, they were probably wanting to sell it for way more than, you know, private companies thought it was worth. And so they didn't do it. And then now you have the problem of the sort of the value of, of production and what it's being valued at versus the value of acreage. And I think EOG actually was talking about that at well as well in that January talk um, where they were saying, you know, that, they can't, they can't go buying production because the, it's being valued too high. Uh, You know, they have to, if they were going to do something, they have to get acreage because they, they have to assess it that way. So it's this whole, you know, PDP. And I I think the Bakken gets stuck in that a little bit is that, you know, there isn't dry powder that you can just get, but at the same time, you know, these, these publics are, you know, they're not selling it off either. And that says something about the Bakken. If you're not selling it off, one, prices are really high. So, and, and, you know, the fact that, Continental is running 8 rigs and um Hess is saying well we may go to 4. I mean, yes, we're, we're only at 30 something, we're only at 30 rigs in the Bakken, but that that's still, I mean, and it should be, I mean, really at these price levels that it should be we should easily be 50 if not ab- well above um for for rigs, but if you're saying 8 and 4 and these are public companies and Marathon 3 and they might eke out another, I mean, they just don't have an incentive to drill it up all at once, right? They have other plays that they're going after and they hold the acreage and it's something since 2014, most of these operators have held their acreage by production. They just don't have the need to go drill baby drill in the Bakken.
1: Yeah. And again, that other that other piece of the discussion, right? in the gas capture. If, if Yes. I don't know that, that there's a whole lot of another gear that we can can push into right and, and still stay within some of those constraints and considerations, um, until we can t- continue to build out that midstream sector and, and get some solutions uh, at all fronts, right. Gathering, processing, transmission, liquids, transmission, all those need to come together before we can meaningfully start ramping up production or if the companies had that desire to do so. Um, so, um, you know, your, your question and discussion on, you know, the, Companies and acquisition—that you know—that that's certainly outside of my wheelhouse. I don't know that I've got a whole lot to add to, to that conversation, but I, I do know what type of, of real constraints we're, we're seeing on the ground here, and you know how that plays into again, maybe why we're seeing some companies um, do what they're doing today, right?
0: But that gas capture piece—I mean, it, it, it is actually relevant, and I do think it's a wheelhouse you, you should play in a little bit more because, I mean, it's a—I mean we're sort of giving people high level overview and hopefully they have an understanding a little bit of the Wilson basin, but I mean, weather is a huge issue, obviously in North Dakota. So, you know, one of the things that when companies held their acreage by production and, and they weren't running and gunning, I mean, EOG was one of the first companies to really slow down aggressively during the winter months and then make it extremely seasonal when they were active. And so obviously you you have ramp ups in the summer because the weather's great. And then, you know, very, very treacherous, you know, Negative forty, you know, days. Uh, so um, winter is hard, and as you said, you had, you had a tough winter. So production comes down, activity comes down. It's just harder to do things. Um, but if you're if you're thinking about from an investment standpoint, I mean knowledge is everything, right? Um, people have to understand what's going on. And so when you talk about just get the gas capture and gasping, you know, what is the, you know, is that what is the BTU content? How much of it, you know, what, what do you have to do to actually process it in field? You know, where, you know, how much liquids do we have? What can, what are the opportunities? What can we do with it? I know you guys have, you know, some folks are doing, you know, Bitcoin mining and things like that. But I mean, when you have a lot of gas, there's an opportunity, but there's also when people don't understand it, it's the – and if you don't have the activity from the operators and the rigs ramping up, the, the first thing people do is a cursory glance of, okay, what's going on and what's the activity? And then it's, okay, well, yes, they have gas and they've got issues, but why would I invest in that? Or, you know, if, if I'm a midstream company and I'm looking for opportunities, one, if I am in North Dakota or in the Wilson Basin, or two, if I'm looking to enter – it's, does the upstream match up? And I think that's where there's sort of a, there's, there's a, it's not a, it's a simple disconnect, right? It's that I don't see the activity. I've got all this production and everything, but it's, it's, how are you sort of matching up? And I do think as, you know, as you're explaining this stuff to folks, it is important for investors to realize that, you know, that's, they're kind of, they're not two separate issues, they're connected. Um, But the gas piece is still something investable. And it's still something if the gas is there, regardless of the production, uh, or regardless of the activity on the on from upstream operators is that, it still can be processed and used and, and something has to be done with it. And I think the information around that is, is pretty critical in terms of uh, the processing of it and, and what can be done and what are the opportunities for it. Even if it's, you know, if it's taking it north and it's getting it um, to LNG or, or taking it south or whatever it is. And, and we have limited infrastructure in the US to begin with on the gas side, but it's just one of those things that the discussion has to be elevated so that people understand that there's a lot there um, and more infrastructure has to be built out in order to capture it.
1: Yeah, absolutely, uh, and and gas—it's been that that piece that's we've always gotten wrong, right? We've we've always underestimated what it is uh, from a volume perspective, what the challenges are going to be, the, the timing and, and of all of our projects. Um, so, uh, these next two to four years are going to be absolutely critical for for the the next setting the the backing up for the next five to ten years, right? The investments that we see come forward. Um, to, to allow producers to, to get more active, to be more active, but then still hit those targets that they want. Right. Uh, Again, designing and building a system for 91% capture, which was, is much, much different than designing and building a system for 99% capture. Right. And so uh, again, this whole discussion is just completely evolved in the last year of what this is going to look like. And um, I, I don't see, a, a scenario where where we see much wavering from those those internal targets um at, at least i don't i don't have a hint of it yet i don't know what 50 or and if if prices went up another 25 bucks another 50 bucks um if, if some of those considerations get pulled back a little bit to to bring some more supply to the market you know we'll we'll see but right now it, it's absolutely firm and we're seeing it in the numbers um and how operators are are making their decisions of, of even day-to-day production in the basin here.
0: Do you, so just a couple questions before we close, and I, I want to wrap it up. I know we, we have about five minutes here, but is that um... – you know, when you think about it like that, do you think that one is the the massive ESG pressure that I talk about a lot in, in podcasts and I work a lot and talk about it with clients, so that massive ESG pressure that we've seen that significant ramp up in the course of 2021, you know, with uh, jump, the U.S. jumping back into the Paris Climate Accords and all the companies pandering and jumping in and doing their net zero and, and going in every everybody's jumped onto these Paris Climate Accords as well, which for oil company, I think is ludicrous, but regardless, they're doing it. Is, that, is there a, a correlation in terms of from the gas capture side, that, that big ramp up that basically happened over the course of 21, that the public companies that are, that's, that's part, of, part of it, is that if they hadn't, you know, if they hadn't, you know, further committed to additional gas capture, that you would see activity probably a little bit higher right now?
1: I think you would, you'd have that window of opportunity okay, probably to, to bring some more in. Yep. Yeah,
0: yep. Yeah. So that's one, and so that's i mean it's not not saying that gas capture isn't important, but from a from an activity level standpoint, the ability, I think the flexibility in order to be able to flare um that that's something um and then on the on you know I, I think we do have to separate one thing, and that's that if if you're bullish on inventory, right, if you're bullish on inventory, and you're saying, okay, well, at these price levels, we have more inventory, et cetera, For, forget the price levels if we're just bullish on in inventory, we're bullish on productivity in the bakken but does that mean that more is available that there is, you know, the private operators that have carved stuff off that, you know, is it all taken up is all purchases all bought up or is it, um, and, and just, it's the folks that, you know, it's, it's the continentals and the Hesses and the whitings, So they have it all. So, I mean, when the inventory grows or, you know, expands, I mean, they have it. So is there opportunity for new entrance in the basin or is this simply the game of it's the, The acreage that's going to, you know, we get more inventory. It's within the existing acreage. So there isn't more opportunity.
1: Yeah. I mean, with what we know today on inventory, and I'll just speak to North Dakota to start, and then I'll kind of touch a bit on your other question there. Um, Yeah. The the acreage is is tied up. They're held by production. You've got, um, you know, uh, basically every unit has at least one well active on it. Um, I think that it'll be real curious to see how eastern Montana Continues to evolve here in the next couple of years. Um, you know, we're we're seeing real good success on what we would have historically called the fringe areas of North Dakota, Montana. We keep seeing you know, one or two rigs pop on and off over there. Um, are they going to take what they've learned in North Dakota, push it to that portion of the play, which has had historically some great wells as well? That's that's where the Bakken, you know, really got started in the Williston Basin Bill- on that Montana Billings, side, right? Yeah.
0: Billings Nose and that Montana side was where.
1: Is yeah, Elm Cooley Cooley there? there?
0: Yeah. Elm Cooley. Sorry. Elm Cooley. Yes. Yeah. On the Montana side and really where it kickstarted. And then everybody flipped over to the Bakken pretty quick. Cause you guys changed your tech structure. Um,
1: yeah. And it, and it doesn't change, you know, it doesn't, uh, we, we share the same infrastructure, right. Our, our, our pipeline systems, everything. It's so it, we don't necessarily recognize the, the state lines when we talk about some of these big picture, you know, issues. So, um, you know, what happens there is gonna be meaningful. And I, I think that it'll be interesting the next five years. Um, eastern montana with some new technology lower drilling costs um that'll be a, a fun portion of the play it's still mm-hmm. north dakota is still going to drive the the boat we're still going to be the, the the by and large the, the biggest producer in the bakken but um when you talk about kind of new areas areas that might be kind of on the cusp of of change um i'd keep an eye over there
0: uh, And so, and I like one. I think that's that's an exciting comment and a really good point. Um, So I would even say that, and I'm not sure where it stands from an acre standpoint, but I would hope that even maybe in South Dakota. And I, I say this, and I know all this stuff sounds ridiculous. And if you you know the Bakken, you'd say, oh, South Dakota, and and things like that. Of like, it'd be hard to conceive and $95 oil, folks. It's all up for grabs, everything. And I really encourage folks, you know, to to give me a call or to pull maps or whatever, because when when i'm ripping through these assets and i go through every single play in the us gas and oil plays and you're looking at public privates and looking at where they're at for rigs ducks permits you name it the maps are just dramatic like we we have activity where we haven't had activity uh, ever and and then so it makes sense to me that you know and hopefully there is some acreage available in on the montana side or or at least can transact cuz it's not all all held by publics um, but if there's if there's some acreage available on other sides at these price levels, and yes, I, I don't think these price levels can hold up forever. I, th- I think we are we're looking at pending, uh, you know, very serious inflation, geopolit- you know, further geopolitical risk can hold up prices. But, you know, the levels we're seeing from, a I think, um, risk standpoint for in imp- recession are, are extremely high. So things will probably have to slow down at, at some point point, um, probably in, in not too distant future. But that all being said, when prices are in the 90s um, and even in the 80s, things start looking much more attractive. And I would imagine that, you know, places like Montana and South Dakota and fringier areas um, really start looking promising. And there have to be folks that are dabbling and playing and, and looking to, to grab acreage when they, where they can. Awesome. Well, Justin, it was an absolute pleasure. Um, I want to, uh, you know, say that our uh, my thoughts and prayers, as I'm sure yours are as well, are with the folks in in Ukraine, and I definitely don't mean to make light of that situation by any means, um, especially in the context of energy. Um, and what's happening is a extremely evolving story and, and it unfolds, you know, literally nightly. There, there's more information um, and it does have a, a very big impact on, on energy markets. Um, but uh, I think this was a, a timely discussion with the Wilson Basin and really appreciate uh, you coming on the podcast, Justin.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it.
0: Absolutely. OK, talk to you soon. Bye.
1: Yep. Bye.